just want to pray real quick before our service starts. Good singing, brother. Thank you for those songs. So let's pray together. Father God, we so thank you again for this morning, this resurrection morning, Father. Lord, I just pray that as our brother comes to share from us all the way from India, Lord, would you anoint him? Would you speak through him, Father? And Lord, I pray that you would give us as a congregation, Lord, ears to hear, a soft heart, Father, ready to receive of your glorious word, Father. Lord, may you be done, may you be honored and glorified in all that is done today. Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Good morning. It's such a delight, honor, privilege to be here this morning. I'm deeply grateful to God for Pastor Merlin and for his encouragement uh, to me and to Chris. And uh, thank you, Pastor Phil, and thank you, elders. Thank you for your encouragement to us. Thank you for standing with us. Uh, there isn't another church like this church. No exaggeration. Uh, the way you have reached out to us, the way you have uh, come and visited with us, and um, the way you have supported us past eight plus years, and also it's such a privilege to stand in front of a church where uh, I know a lot of people. Um, and, and so I'm deeply grateful to God, deeply, deeply grateful to God for standing with us, for traveling with us on this journey and uh, praying for us and sending one of your own to serve alongside us. That's a great encouragement, uh, Chris and Stephanie serving with us. Uh, that's why I'm saying this. One of the reasons why I'm saying there's no other church like this church. Praise God for that. Praise God. And I'd love for you to continue to pray for us and, and travel with us as we go towards this goal of reaching out to 100,000 villages through 20,000 native pastors. The whole thing looked like a joke uh, 16 years ago. And uh, half the time I didn't know what I was saying. Uh, the only thing I knew was God had put this burden on my heart. And I was only learning to articulate that burden. Uh, sometimes I got it right and sometimes I got it completely wrong. But through it all, the Lord worked. The Lord worked. And if we are able to talk about 14,000 people serving the Lord in 70,000 plus villages, I believe it's because of the resurrected Savior. There's, there's no other explanation. There's no other explanation. I want to thank you for um, your support and for your prayers. Um, let me, uh, I'm going to share, the Lord has laid on my heart four lessons. And uh, I want to be time conscious. I don't want to keep you here till the end of the day. <laughs> but uh, try to finish it as quickly as possible. But uh, I'll tell you that, at the center of it all is just one burden. 
And that one burden is reaching this world with the gospel. I, I believe in the resurrected Savior. I, I believed in the resurrected Christ this morning because I know he's the only answer to the world's problems. And the only reason why uh, Jesus came to this world and went to the cross and died and rose again was to reconcile the world to himself, right? And so on this resurrection morning, there is no other agenda. There's no other thought or, uh, you know, burden that's more important than the burden for the lost. Not long ago, about a month ago, I was going to the city of New Delhi, our capital, and before I start a journey, I always pray that God would use that journey for his glory. And that morning, I was led specifically to pray that that day, I will be able to talk to somebody about Jesus. I knew I was going to be on a plane, and I was going to be flying for at least three hours, and I knew there will be people sitting on both sides. I knew I had the uh, center seat. Uh, that, that's the cheap seat. Okay, so I have two people on my side, and I said, Lord, please help me to talk to somebody about Jesus. Okay, now, just before they announced, uh, you know, the, the closing of the boarding, uh, somebody walked in, and he was big, and he looked very important, and he asked me if I would move to one of the sides so that he and his wife can sit together. Uh, I'm glad I said yes. Yeah. I, and okay, they, they just, she took the window seat and he sat in the middle seat and I was pushed to the aisle. And I looked at them, they, they looked kind of Asian, um, you know, like the Chinese features. So immediately I knew that they must be from the northeastern part of uh, India. The plane took off, and uh, I always, you know, in order, if you really want to talk to somebody about Jesus, you better start talking, right? Um, so I wanted to just initiate a conversation. So uh, I asked him if he was from Manipur, which is one of the states in the Northeast. He said, yes, I'm from Manipur. And uh, that helped us to s talk a little bit more and... and uh, he seemed to be kind of friendly, and uh, even though he looked big and very important, he looked like one of the big, you know, big shots, I thought he must be. Our city is a city known for businesses, big businesses, so I, I, I really thought that he must be uh, the CEO of one of the biggest companies in my, uh, in my city. So it was an honor and privilege to sit with, beside him and talk with him. And so I, when I was done asking him questions about who he was and where he was from, uh, etc., he was initially not really opening up. He said very little. Um, then I wanted to know whether he was going to Manipur or to Delhi. I said, I know you're from Manipur, but you're going to New Delhi, right? Do you live there? He said, yes. Then I asked him, what do you do in Delhi? He said, I'm the foreign minister. 
Do you have, like, your Secretary of State, right? Yeah. I, I almost jumped out of the plane. <laughs> oh, my. And then he asked me, now, let me ask you about who are you and what do you do? The wrong question. Don't ask an evangelist. What do you do? <laughs> yeah. Long story short. I shared with him about what I was doing, you know, all this egg project and whatever else. And then I said, this is why I do what I do. So what do I share? I shared my testimony with him. Okay, and, and he was a friendly man, you know. I mean, he was one of the topmost officials of, uh, I mean, working very closely every day with our prime minister and, and this guy was having a great conversation with me, and I, have, I was privileged to share the gospel with him. And uh, praise God. Anyway, he handed me his card and asked me to visit, and uh, when I get back, I'm going to be able to do that someday. You know, he said, we can help you. Praise God for that. But you know, God is very interesting, right? You just pay a prayer, pray, Lord, please. Help me to share the gospel with someone. And he brings the foreign minister. <laughs> and makes him sit right next to you. That's what God can do. That's what God can do. You come with me. Let's jump right into the message here. The, the, the verse that God has given to me uh, for today is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 19 and 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 19 and 20. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. If only for this life we have hope in this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. The resurrected Christ is for this life as well as for the next life. He is for the present and he is also for the future. And when you think about that, he, he's with you and for you from beginning to end. And the end is not death the end is actually an endless end. Eternity, right? So, if we believe in a God like that, if we believe in Jesus, who is the Alpha and the Omega, why is it that we think as though we lived only for this life? Why do we behave as though sometimes we need to make decisions only for this life. When the Lord began to speak to me from this verse, I had to once again rededicate my life to him and say, Lord, I'm, I'm limiting you. You are the limitless God. You are for the past. You are for the present. You are for the future. And this verse says that I cannot put my trust in you only for the sake of this life. You want me to put my trust in you for 
the entire life, which is eternal life. And God has called us in Christ Jesus to be partakers of that eternal life, which he alone can give us, right? Uh, a friend of mine, uh, he's a very godly man, but God helped me to appreciate his godliness a little bit more on this day when I was having this conversation with him. His wife had been diagnosed with some cancer, cancer that will eventually kill her. Uh, even this day and age, there's no cure for that type of cancer. So I went to meet with him. I was already feeling so bad on the inside. What do you tell your friend, you know, when you know that his wife is going to die? After a few minutes, he said, Eddie, why are you so sad? Why do you look so sad? You know, for us here or there, it's the same. That was comforting. And half an hour later, I was in the kitchen, and Audrey, his wife, she came along, and uh, I was feeling even more sad because she is actually the victim, right? The one that's actually having to deal with this cancer. And they have seven children, and, and some of the children are still small, and I don't want it to go away anytime soon. Now, I'm at a loss for words. What do I tell Audrey in a situation like this? I can't quote her husband. And while I was still waiting, you know, we just exchanged pleasantries and we were waiting and then I was about to say something when she says, Brother Eb, you look so sad already. Why? I know why. Here or there, it's the same for us. The best illustration, the best illustration that throws light on a verse like this. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. We know this, we know the meaning of this, we believe in this, lots of us have bought into this theology, but yet, oftentimes, when the challenges of this life kind of show their faces to us, we begin to think. We begin to do certain things that, you know, our theology would not let us do, but, you know, even in that, I forgot to say this when I was talking with this man, you know, you all probably have been praying for us uh, that our government would give us the license uh, which will allow us to continue, okay? We should have lost it by now, and now the deadline for renewing the license has been pushed to the 31st of, uh, I'm sorry, the 30th of June, 30th of June. And so if we get before that deadline, we get it, otherwise we wouldn't be a ministry, okay? That's our situation. Please pray for us. So while I was having this nice little conversation with this uh, Secretary of State, I had a, I, I was running another tape. Why don't you bring it up with him? After all, he's inviting me to his office. Handy, I didn't even ask for his card. 
But the Holy Spirit told me, are you trusting me or are you trusting this man? Okay? Immediately, as I was beginning to run that other tape, when is the right time to pop this question? You know, can you help us? And the Spirit of God tells me, no. And I haven't and I'm not going to be. I am not going to talk to him at all about it. Looks like this is the best opportunity, the best contact I have. The reason why I'm saying that is, you know, our trust in God, God of the past, God of the present, and God of the future should be such that our reliance should be completely only on him and on nothing else. The poor me, I was tempted many times during that three-hour conversation. But God prevailed over me and said, no, you're not talking to him about it. Right? So based on this, this is the premise. Based on this, we're going to look at four lessons quickly. And lesson number one is, the risen Jesus Christ gave the whole gospel, the whole gospel to the disciples. He had talked about his death. He had talked about his resurrection. He had talked about his ascension. But now... They have this whole picture before them. Now today, I want you to please apply your mind and heart to this fact that unlike so many other cultures, so many other religious groups in this world, we have, we Christians, have the privilege of having the full gospel. Let's not take it for granted just because we know it all. There are, you know, coming from India, I come from the midst of different cultural groups, religious groups, that I, I know you are kind of aware of. You have some general knowledge of what they believe. But when I meet with this group of people who believe that they have to dedicate their 13-year-old and 14-year-old daughters uh, to their deity to propitiate to please that deity so that their sins can be washed and the rest of the story is bad. You know, those, those 13-year-olds and 14-year-olds dedicated to the temple end up in some of the big brothels of the country. If that's the only way of salvation they know, I'm sure, you know, we can, we can appreciate this morning that we have a gospel that is pure, that is holy, that does not even ask us to do anything about getting saved. He did it all. That's what I want to emphasize. And when the disciples finally understood that, they got out and they went out and they won the world for Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Pinch yourselves this morning, you know. Lord, how come I know this gospel and, and yet I'm keeping it within myself? The least we can do is, like I said, you know, when you start each day, Lord, today I know America is what it is. The culture is what it is. Sometimes it's so, it's so uh, offensive to start talking to somebody about your faith, your conviction. But, you know, you never know what God will do. I didn't expect the Secretary of State to be sitting next to me that day. And, you know, this is not the one and only time. So many times such wonderful things have happened. 
I would encourage you, I would encourage you to appreciate, take time to appreciate the fact that you have received the full gospel. It's not just about the death of Jesus. This is about the resurrection of Jesus. And then after the resurrection, he says, wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. And then when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in, Jude- in, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the world. Right? That's what a true buying into of the full gospel of Jesus will do for you and do for me. This is like the whole world is dying of hunger and you have enough reserves, food reserves, right in your barn. You know, you can take it and share, but how many times we forget to do what we need to be doing while the world is dying of hunger. They don't know Jesus. And they are, they're going to hell without the knowledge of Jesus. You, you, you know about this great festival, this great festival that, that, that takes place once um, <clears throat> every 13 years uh, in India. They call it the Mahakumbh Mela, which means that, you know, there's some little story behind that. It seems their chief god, one of, they are three chief gods actually, and uh, one of the chief gods was carrying uh, that, that concoction which would save people, okay? Some elixir or whatever, you know, they call it. And uh, four drops um, <clears throat> fell in four different places. And once every 13 years, people gather there because these three, four places have rivers, holy rivers, and they believe that on those special days, these rivers become that that concoction or something, you know, so if they dipped into the river at the right time, then they get to go to heaven. You know, their sins will be gone and then they go, go to heaven. Okay? So how many people do you think gathered together when they had it? COVID interrupted that. But before that, 2019, 240 million people. 240 million people. This is not some little story believed in by some small group of people in a corner. 240 million people. And 1.3 million out of that came from overseas. A lot of Westerners came and they also had their holy dips in in one of these four places. I'm, I'm saying this to say this morning that, you know, we know the death and the resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit and then the ascension and the promise of the second coming, which is all now, you know, put together is the whole gospel has been given to us, has been entrusted to us. We believe in it. We live by it. We, we, we know it is true, but we're not giving it to others as aggressively as consistently as we should be giving it to others. That's what I'm trying to highlight in in the first lesson. So Jesus not only, not only just showed up, 
But, you know, on the road to Emmaus, and then when they got in and when they started to talk, Cleopas and the other disciple started to talk with Jesus, Jesus opened the scriptures for them and said, yeah, this event is important, but the scriptures talk about all of this. Jesus going to the cross and dying and rising again. And that's what you don't believe, you know. So Jesus was explaining the whole thing to them by, by explaining the scriptures to them, right? Now that's important. So, especially Luke chapter 24, verses 44 to 49. Let me just read it for you. And then we're going to come to the end of the first lesson here. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them this. This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer, rise from the dead on the third day. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. The whole package is there. All the important elements are there. And he's saying this, not just based on what happened a few days ago. He said, the scriptures are talking about this. The scriptures are talking about this. And along, I mean, along with, you know, talking about the death, the resurrection, he's saying that you will be witnesses of these things. You will be witnesses of these things. Underline. And then he says, wait, you need to have empowerment. You need to have the power of the Holy Spirit. And so wait for that. And then you're going to go and publish the gospel, proclaim the gospel Throughout the world. Now I appreciate the fact that here, the risen Jesus is taking the Bible and teaching them from the Bible, from the Word of God. And it's also said, said here, he opened their minds so that they can understand it the way he wanted them to understand. And in the midst of all of that, he's saying, you are witnesses. You're going to be witnesses. And then finally when he disappeared, right there, you know, as he broke the bread, as he disappeared, they recognized him and then he disappeared. They knew that Christ has risen. And after that, you know, it was nighttime. They walked seven miles to come to that place. It was already supper time. I don't know whether they even cared to finish the supper. They just got out and ran back to Jerusalem to tell everybody, Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen. And we are witnesses. We are witnesses. Wow. You know, on this day, it's my prayer that God the Holy Spirit will so anoint us, so equip, I mean, energize us and, and empower us that we will behave like these two disciples, this Cleopas and the other disciple, and we will say, yeah, 
You know, we have the gospel. We must go and give it to others. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. One little story from the field. This pastor was, he believed in God's word. And he, wherever he went, he was passing out gospel tracts. Most probably the word missionary presses, booklets. You know, we are so blessed to have them all free. Door delivered to us at no cost to us. Very thankful. And I know you're all involved in sometimes packing uh, the literature for us. Thank you. Uh, and so he was passing out these gospel tracts. And, uh, you know, some people accepted, some people gave it back to him and did not pay attention. But one family had a problem. They had a little son that had some kind of sickness. It had paralyzed his legs, both his legs. And this little guy was lying in his bed and the doctors had given up hope. So they invited him to come and tell them more. So he got in there and he told them more about the Lord and what God can do and prayed for that little boy. Nothing happened immediately, but in the subsequent days and weeks and months, he kept coming, he kept coming, and he tells me, you know, he has written the story for us. He says he systematically, systematically taught them the word of God. And I don't know, it's not, all those details are not here, but somewhere during those days, sometime during those days, the boy began to feel good, better, and, you know, finally he sat upon his bed. He couldn't do that earlier, and now he's even walking. Oh. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Not only that, you know, seeing that, seeing that today, there are 35 people gathering for worship at the house of this woman. And two of them have already given their lives to full-time ministry. So now they are associates with this pastor. And they've been to two other villages. And they brought 13 people from those villages to this congregation. Just think about the whole thing. You know, I, I'm not focusing only on, on the miracle that happened. God used the miracle. But 35 people, 13 people, and two of them think that now it is their business to preach the gospel. The rest of their lives. Hallelujah. If all this means anything to us this morning, you know, as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, let us say, Lord, we have the gospel. We've had the gospel. Some of you probably six, seven, eight, ten generations. You've had the gospel. And this morning, we want to honor the Lord for the sake of the gospel. And once again, make a commitment to the gospel. And, and, and rededicate our lives to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news about Jesus Christ. So that, you know, we can in real ways... Start communicating the gospel, sharing the gospel with others. I'm so glad that you are praying for us, supporting us financially, and helping us to send all those pastors into the villages. But I would equally desire for the same thing to happen right here in this congregation. In the life of everyone here. Now moving on, the second lesson is, I want to spend less time on this one. 
you know, I appreciated the fact this time when I once again, you know, went back to the resurrection stories and, uh, and read them all over again from all the four Gospels. What caught my attention was Jesus coming back and not just showing up, but touching their lives. You know how he, how he encouraged Mary Magdalene. You know how he encouraged these guys, the Cleopas and the other disciple. How encouraged they were. You know, as Jesus was teaching them the word of God, they, they felt their hearts being on flame, you know, being on fire. And then he gave a private audience to Peter who had just denied him three times. And then went, went back to meet with the disciples again and again and again. And we're told that, he, you know, up to 500 people saw Jesus. But there were times when he was not just giving them an audience. He was actually touching their lives. For example, for example what we see here, uh, you know, uh, Jesus talking with uh, Thomas. Because the first time Jesus appeared, Thomas was not there. And so Thomas had said, Unless I see the wounds and put my hands into the wounds, I wouldn't believe. So Jesus comes back looking for Thomas. And then he says, okay, I mean, long story short, my Lord, my God. Right? I mean, Jesus did not ignore even Thomas. And Thomas, you've always been a doubter and, you know, I, I couldn't care less. I don't want to spend more time trying to, to encourage you to believe. Okay? Uh, just, I mean, but as I have many scripture verses here, uh, John 7, 20, 17, Jesus is saying to Mary Magdalene, go instead to my brothers and tell them. Now, in these efforts that Jesus is making, I'm able to see how Jesus restoring those relationships. You know that lots of them just got discouraged, lost their hope. So many of them just ran away. They ran for their lives. And now Jesus is coming back and regrouping and bring them together close to himself. And he's encouraging them. I, I want you to see that part. I want you to see that part. Now, if we can step into the shoes of any one of those, you would think, yeah, you know, I mean, what, could, what else could they have done in a situation like that? Because the cross seemed to be that hopeless end of everything that Jesus had said and done. Because, you know, the Bible tells us that they did not really believe that he would come back again. Even when they were told repeatedly, they couldn't believe that he had come back to life, right? And so as human beings, I'm sure we can relate to them. And as just men of flesh and blood, they were, they were discouraged. They were hopeless. And yet Jesus reached out to them. And, and Jesus encouraged them and, and restored them. Completely. To where John chapter 20 verses 19 and 20. When Jesus appears in front of them and says peace be with you. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. 
you know, giving back to them joy, which, was, which they had just lost. Okay? And then uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 41, the disciples were filled with joy and amazement when they saw the Lord. We even have a song regarding that. When they saw the Lord, they rejoiced, right? Yeah. They rejoiced. There was amazement. There was joy when they saw the Lord. And you know what happened on the beach when Jesus reached out to Peter and, and restored him. Okay. I, I don't want us to ignore these events and the significance of those events. Because as we journey with the Lord, there are real times when... You will have doubts. You will have questions. You will have despair. You will have sorrow that you will not be able to overcome on your own. But even at such times, we can, we can believe in the Lord. We can, we can be firm in our faith and with the help of the Lord and, and we can continue the journey. I don't know whether, you know, I've, I've spoken here many times. I'll be brief in this, uh, in telling you the story. One time, you know, I lost hope after starting the ministry, okay? Certain things happened. I won't go into all those details. I said, I'm so discouraged, so discouraged. That was, even today, uh, you know, in my uh, 44 years of walk with the Lord, that was the lowest point. And I went and just sank into one of the couches and... I almost thought that was the end of my, I was not going to disbelieve God. I was not going to just say there's no God or anything. But I didn't know if I, was, if, I was, if, if I was going to continue the ministry, if I was going to continue to be excited about what God had tasked me to do, etc., etc. So discouraging. And at that time, you know, on the side table, just beside the couch, there was this book written by Oswald Chambers. And I listlessly took it in my hand. I, you know, that was the last thing I wanted to do on that day. But somehow, you know, I, I believe today the Lord made me do it. I took it and I opened it and my eyes fell on this page where there was the story. And I'm sure the Lord is asking me to share this with you today because some of you may be going through a similar experience. Receive this as something from the Lord, an encouragement from the Lord, okay? So the story was like this. This pastor, this pastor of a church was on a vacation with his family and they were somewhere in the United States and they were going back home. They had to travel several days to go back home and all of a sudden while they were on the highway, the family said, we're hungry, we need to stop somewhere, we need to stop somewhere. So somewhere in the middle of nowhere, they found this exit which had a restaurant and they stopped there and they got in there. You know, they were so hungry that they left the pastor behind and everybody, you know, went into the restaurant. The pastor himself wasn't feeling hungry and so he sat at the reception and they, they didn't have a lot of people to take care of the restaurant that day. And so the lady at the reception actually left and to go uh, to seat them. And while she was gone, the phone began to ring. The phone, phone rang one full time and stopped, and another time rang and stopped. Third time it rang, the pastor felt responsible to 
pick it up and, and answer the phone. And when he said hello, he thought that he recognized the voice at the other end. The other end, it was a lady who immediately said, Pastor, I forget the name of the pastor. Let's say, Pastor Merlin, <laughs> you know. It was a lady trying to reach out to him. I mean, just what are the odds of, it's completely weird, completely weird. And the lady said, I've been desperately looking for you. I have just decided to commit suicide. And, and I called all the numbers I had. I couldn't get through to anybody. And finally, this number came, appeared inside my head. This number of this restaurant in the middle of nowhere where this family was not supposed to go. I mean, you, can you imagine this whole thing? Oswald Chambers has written that, you know, as an illustration. And when I read that, I began to cry. I began to cry, Lord. And the Lord said, that's how I can reach out to you. That's exactly how I can reach out to you. So you may imagine that you come to the end of the road. But I can, I can do this. I can move heaven and earth, connect all the dots, and I can reach out to you just like I reached out to this lady. The end of the story was the pastor was able to counsel her in a timely fashion. The lady changed her mind and her life was saved. It's one of the weirdest stories, but that day... I mean, what are the odds that I would choose that couch and then, you know, see that book and open to that page and, and in the state of mind I was, that was the last thing I wanted to do. You know, but I did that. And through it, the Lord ministered to me. The power of resurrection. Jesus just, just didn't appear to Mary Magdalene and Cleopas and others, you know. He had a purpose in appearing to them. He had a purpose in appearing on the beach before those disciples who had gone fishing. And he had a purpose in restoring Peter. The Lord can do that for you today. No matter where you're at. The third lesson is based on John chapter 11. 25 to 27. This is a conversation between Jesus and Martha. You know the story. The risen Jesus made it possible for every one of his followers to live in the light of eternity. So we began by saying we have the whole gospel, so we better respect the gospel. Own the gospel and start sharing. And then we said, you know, just in case, due to various problems, discouragements, challenges in life, we are discouraged. And we're thinking more about our own problems and not the problems of others. God says, I can restore you and send you out with my gospel. That's lesson number two. Lesson number three is, 
is, is something I believe we all can relate to. Those of us who have decided to follow Jesus, we know we've been called to live in the light of eternity. Now, right here in this passage, John chapter 11, 25 to 27, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Guess what she said? Yes, Lord. She said, yes, I believe. What did she believe? Even though people die, they will live because they believe in Jesus. Jesus, you know what he means by saying what he's saying here to Martha. She didn't quite understand, but she just said, yes, Lord. And then she made a big theological statement. She said, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. I think that she was just skirting the issue. You know, I don't know about living after dying, but one thing we know is what you're telling us, that you are the Son of God and you are the Messiah, right? She's speaking theology. She's not actually making a confession of her faith here, right? That becomes very obvious, you know, in the following verses. Then standing in front of the grave, Jesus now asking, okay, now roll the stone away and let's bring, let's bring uh, Lazarus out. And Martha was the first one to speak. And Martha says, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Okay, she had just said, I believe all this. A great creedal statement. She had given her consent to that. And now she's the first one to say, no, this cannot happen. This dead man cannot come out because he's been there for four days. There will be a bad odor. Right? Then... Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I, brothers and sisters, you know and I know that this is our unique privilege. We, we believe in crazy things. And sometimes we we behave crazy like I did on the plane, right? Just because I sense the Holy Spirit telling me, don't talk to this man about your problem. How many times it has happened in my life and how many times God has been the victor? Whenever he specifically told me, don't trust man, trust me, even in this terrible situation. And when I did that, the end was always Victory. Hallelujah. That's exactly what he's saying. Trust me and open the grave. This dead man is going to come out. Did it happen? We know that's what happened. Now that is, that is the best lesson we have here. So we can be encouraged to live in the light of eternity while living here on planet earth. And the meaning of that is, if you don't understand, some of you, what, it, what does it mean to live in the light of eternity? It's just like this. 
Okay? When God says, I'll do this for you, or when God says, believe, this will happen, you just believe. You don't reason with your logic and you don't look around. You just look at him and believe in him and say that he can do what he says he can do. He alone can do it. So the faith journey with Jesus takes us beyond the cross and beyond the grave. The faith journey. But let's ask ourselves this evening, this, this morning, you know, is it true of us? Does it take us beyond the cross and beyond the grave in a real way? Have we trusted Jesus to, in different areas of our lives, to behave in this manner? So that we go beyond the cross, beyond the grave, and we see the Lord at work. It's our privilege. You know, Corrie Tenboom, Corrie Ten, we heard about Corrie Tenboom. She said something like this Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. You know the kind of context in which she was, situation in in which she was, when she said this, do not be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. The psalmist would say in 73, Psalm 73, 25 and 26, whom I have in heaven but you, I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail, my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. The reason why Audrey could say, here or there is the same for us, she was not naming and claiming. She was not even saying at that point that because of a trust in Jesus, she was going to be made whole. She just said, I'm already living in the light of eternity. And so here or there, it is the same for us. Right? And both husband and wife, they had not even discussed it with each other, you know, what reply they were going to give to me. But they gave the same reply, right? So, you know, when, when we come into that kind of a realm, my brothers and sisters, then, and, and if you know, and, and when we are able to say, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 19 and 20, we don't put our trust in Jesus for this life only. We put our trust in Jesus for the life hereafter as well. Then, you know, when the doctor invites you to discuss some kind of your biopsy results, you're not going to fear and tremble. You're not going to fear and tremble. Yeah, you know, as human beings, we don't want bad news. But those of us who have learned to live in this realm, we will, we will look at it very differently. Or, you know, when there is a crisis in the family, or some kind of a loss in the business, or, or you go to the office and then at 5 o'clock they tell you don't come back tomorrow. When such things happen, those of us who live in this realm, we know how to understand that. We know how to take it. And no, no challenge like that is going to be the end of the world for us. I want you to know that resurrection, 
true belief in resurrection, our willingness to buy into the story of resurrection will transport us into this realm where we will really live like this. But if at present this is only some kind of a story for you, some kind of a good thought, and you want to kind of revisit this and think more about it before you make a commitment, you know, ask the Lord. The least you can do right now is ask the Lord, please help me to think these thoughts. Help me to have this kind of a perspective, this kind of an understanding of my life, understanding of what I'm doing. Because I know that this is the truth and nothing else is the truth. You know, as you were singing uh, the songs, Because I Live, and let us, in that beautiful singing, I was thinking about what happened to your son. You know, a man who let the Lord take away his son, if he can stand here like, that, like this and, and lead us in the singing, fully believing in every word of that, he was not faking it. That's, those were the thoughts that went across my mind as you were leading us in singing. Right? So we're not talking about some kind of a, uh, you know, some kind of a mythology, some kind of a fancy idea. This, this is what Jesus brings us into as we follow him in our journey of discipleship and he teaches us to swim across oceans and, and jump over mountains just as much as he could do, as well as he could do. And honestly, I can say, you know, I'm, I'm not a saint or anybody, but, you know, this is how I'm experiencing Jesus in my personal walk with him. This is how we're experiencing Jesus in our ministry. And, you know, we, we always don't, don't uh, you know, <clears throat> do the right things. But, but, but this is the right thing. And, and when, when we finally agree with what Jesus wants us to agree with, there is always victory. There is always peace. There is always joy. And the outcome is always good as he want, intended. That's what I want to share with you this morning, my brothers and sisters. The final lesson. And um, the final lesson is, Jesus' resurrection motivated and empowered the disciples to proclaim the message of hope to the world. Earlier on, we were talking about believing in the gospel and being willing at least to pray this prayer. Lord, today I'm going out. Please help me to open my mouth and talk to somebody about Jesus. That's like almost your, the breath in your nostril. That's, that should be your second nature. That's who you are on a daily basis. But, but here, something big is happening in the lives of these disciples that Jesus left behind to go and win the world. And, and we are able to see that because of resurrection, because of resurrection, you know, we see this in Acts chapter 2. If you're writing, I see some of you writing Acts chapter 2, 23 to 24, Acts chapter 2, 31 to 33. You know, these passages, Peter is standing there in front of the crowd and he's saying, you put him to death by nailing him to the cross, but God raised him from the dead. 
It is not amazing that everything they talked to other people at that time, you know, in the chapters of the book of Acts, all those things center around resurrection. They don't fail to mention the cross. You put him to death, but God raised him from the dead. And again, chapter 2, 31 and 33, God has raised this Jesus' life and we are all witnesses of it. He exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. You know, there is excitement. There is uh, this definitiveness in what they are saying. And they're even accusing. You put him on the cross, but God raised him up. Bold declaration. They could do that because of resurrection. The power of resurrection working in them and working through them. They were able to do that. And then if you come with me, you know, Acts chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he didn't say at that place, the Jesus Christ of Nazareth who, who rose up, but that is the implication there, okay, because the crowd believed that they had gotten rid of Jesus Christ, but he says, in, not in the name of a dead man, but in the name of a living man who rose again, rise up and walk, and right there, then and there, this man rises up, he not only walks, he jumps and he runs. Now see the excitement here. Please, I, I request you to go back and read those early chapters of the book of Acts. Having encountered the risen Jesus, having seen him with their eyes, having even touched him, they're able to just jump up and down literally about the gospel. And great things are happening. That's what I want to underline. They're not simply jumping out up and down. They're not simply speaking at as loudly as they can. Uh, of course, there is confidence. There is this definitiveness. But, you know, things are happening. Things are happening. We, we see right there, you know, 3,000 people were added after the first message. 3,000 people were added. And then after the second message, 5,000 people were added to their number. It was because of the excitement, the, the conviction they received from what they actually saw and handled. Right? I, I'm skipping. I, I think uh, due to brevity of time, you know, will come with me, come with me now um, uh, to this uh, chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 10. Then you know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Now, there's a trial going on, and he has a witness, the healed man. Everybody knew that there was a time when he could not walk, but now he's standing and he's jumping and he's running and he's pointing to him and says, you know, you guys put him on the cross, but now see what's happening. You already spread a lie that Jesus did not rise up. 
And even after 2,000 years later, somebody publishes a book, you know, Jesus' tomb or something, you know, I heard. Uh, people are trying hard to disprove the fact that Jesus rose again, but coming from India, you know, if you have any problems, the reason why I did not want to spend all my time today proving to you the fact of resurrection, because I don't want to go there anymore. Come with me to India and see what this resurrected Jesus is doing. You know, I was, I was driving my car. We come to the end of this message here. Uh, just a few stories and then I'll be through. You know, um, I was driving this car and all of a sudden the Spirit of God tells me, uh, go back and go to the house of the man uh, whose relative you met at the gas station. I'm just shortening the story, okay? It's a long story. So I struggled hard. I had come half an hour away from that gas station. Now I'm supposed to go back, okay? I thought, you know, these evangelists are crazy. You know, they think all kinds of thoughts. And so I, I thought I'm, I'm having one of those episodes. So <laughs> I actually parked my car and I had my packed lunch. So I said, you know, let me just get this thought out of my brain. And I started to eat. But even after I finished my lunch, the Lord kept saying, go back and go to the house of the man that you met at the gas station. Because the man at the gas station had said that his relative was dying. He was not saying to me, he was saying to somebody on the cell phone. And I only overheard. So why should I do anything about it? That's why I said evangelists are crazy, you know. So I go back and I find out that this particular person who was supposed to be dying was living in a small little hut uh, not far from the gas station. So I went in there, Hindu family, completely Hindu family. They had given up hope on him that they were actually, he was lying on a bed outside the house. And any moment he was going to breathe his last. And his relatives were not around him. And the Spirit of God said, pray. And I prayed. The man sat up. And he asked for water. So then I knew that there were some people inside. They, they didn't even care to come out while I was talking with the man and praying with the man. You know. Then they came out and gave him some water. And you know what happened? Two months later, I was going back the same way. Now that day, the man only sat on his bed. He could not walk. He had already been paralyzed uh, hip down, and so he, was, he couldn't walk. But at least, you know, he revived that day. And I thought perhaps God wanted him to hear the gospel before dying. I sincerely believe that he was going to die a few days later, but that was my chance to share the gospel with him. So I was more than content that I obeyed the Lord and shared the gospel, and I kept going. Two months later, I was coming back the same way, and I, the Spirit of God asked me to stop and go check on him. So I was absolutely sure that he was not there <laughs> anymore, okay? But, but I had this inspiration, so I went, I stopped my car, and I went in, and he was there. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. See, here's the story. He wasn't there, okay? He wasn't there. So I knocked on the door, and I asked the lady who had come out earlier to give him a cup of water, uh, his daughter, and I asked her, where's dad? 
He said, she said, dad has gone to the riverside to, to bathe. Okay? Gone to the riverside to bathe in the river. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The man was not only alive, the man was walking. Two, three months later, I went back the same way and he wasn't there. He had already passed away. Okay, after that. Now, I'm saying this to say the resurrected Christ is very actively looking for people he wants to gather into the kingdom. And as I'm encouraging you on the basis of this fourth lesson, you know, <clears throat> where Jesus meets with the disciples and he actually asked them to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And end of the story was when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they were going to be witnesses all over the place, right? So today we are those disciples. We are his hands. We are his legs. And he wants us to respond in that manner. One thing like I did, you can offer a prayer, dedicating your life, give, submitting your time, submitting your schedule to Jesus on a daily basis and saying, Lord, use me today to bless somebody. Use me today to share the gospel with someone. And fourth lesson is, Jesus will come to such people and he'll pull them out of the way and thrust them into situations where big things can happen. Like this. You know, I, I tell you, uh, I, when I look back on my 44 years of walk with the Lord, there are times when I know that God really was there. And this was one of those times. This was one of those times. Okay, so I don't need any other proof. Beside the word of God, of course, this is something I'm seeing in the ministry. Recently, I received a story from the mission field. With this, I close. This pastor, uh, you know, before he ever became a pastor, a young fellow, he was in his deathbed, and everybody had given up on him, and he was in a Hindu family. And, and uh, you know, one, one night... He was supposed to be, that night he was supposed to pass away. All of a sudden, something happened in the room, and he saw Jesus. He saw Jesus coming into the room. As a young man, he saw Jesus appearing to him. The result was, the next morning, he was completely healed. He was completely healed. And... Fast forwarding, he goes to a Bible college, gets some training, and then he ends up becoming uh, an evangelist, a pastor. Now he's training with us uh, in the ministry. And not long ago, just some few months ago, he went to this particular village to pass out some gospel tracts. And the police, there is a police uh, office there. All the police came out and I don't know, I mean, that's not, that's not normal. They came and beat him up so bad that he had to be hospitalized. And then at the hospital, because some people had seen him being beaten up, some other people actually, 
they lodged a complaint with the higher authorities. Now they came to the hospital and they told them that he should withdraw that complaint and issue a, a, a letter saying that nobody beat him. I mean, he couldn't tell a lie. Right? Anyway, fast forwarding, that story is long. Fast forwarding, what happened was two, three months after this incident, the same police got mad at somebody who kept his store open during the curfew hours. You know, during COVID days, we had curfew hours. They had kept the store open. Son and father, they not only beat them, they took them to the police station, tortured them, only because they had kept the store open beyond that 8 o'clock deadline in the evening. And both father and die, son died that day. So these, these were not ordinary human beings. These were demonic people that were attacking. And they were Christians too. That father and son were Christians. And today, all those guys from that police office, they're all in jail. And they're all facing uh, charges of murder because they killed these two. You know? And our pastor is now continuing. He's now out of the hospital and he's continuing to serve the Lord in the same village. And I'm hearing that more people have now come to know the Lord from that village. Now he could stick his neck out and he could continue the ministry and he wouldn't be discouraged. And, you know, even after having beaten up so bad, he wants to go back to the same place and serve the Lord. Because he saw Jesus. Now whether we see Jesus with our naked eyes or with the eyes of our heart. I know it's the real experience. And we can commit our lives to serve Jesus. Like the disciples did. Like this pastor did. You know like there's so many other witnesses we have. Because our response today to the resurrection is that we would give our lives, the rest of our lives, to serve him with all our heart and soul, mind and strength. Let's pray.